Albert Einstein, Richard Branson, Bill Gates, John F. Kennedy, Tony Robbins, Michael Phelps, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of industries. What else do they have in common? Well, they all have ADHD, but you don't hear much about that, do you? You know what you hear even less about? The successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm an attorney, not a doctor, a lifelong student, not a coach. I'm also the creator of Cortography, a patent-pending system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your superpowers, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest superpowers. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you, too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to episode 48 of ADHD for Smartass Women. Today, I've invited Sandra Coral to our podcast. Sandra is a 41-year-old Black woman who was adopted at three with her brother by a white family in Canada, and she's going to tell us all about it. She's joining us from London, where she lives with her husband and five-year-old son. Sandra was a K-12 teacher for over 15 years. She has an MA in educational psychology, as well as postgraduate certificates in English as an additional language, gifted education, and special education. She has taught internationally, including in the UK, South Korea, Thailand, Oman, and Turkey. So Sandra, she's one of us. She's a smart ass. Welcome, Sandra. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. We're just delighted to talk to you today. And I want to start with your story. Can you tell me, kind of just start from the beginning from your childhood? Yeah, sure. I was adopted when I was three with my little brother. Uh, Before that, we were passed back and forth between my birth mother and foster homes until we finally ended up with the family that that we were with. They had three kids of their own who were about 10 or 11, 12 years older than me. And they had also adopted another Black boy about seven or eight years before my brother and I. And as I said, we grew up in a little farm and I was the only black female that I knew, the only person of color that was in this little hamlet that I grew up in. And it, and it was little actually, because it was, you know, four corners, you know, and you had a, as, as a little school, a church, a corner store and a cemetery. So you just kind of lived, went to school and died there. So it was all I knew, though, I didn't know that there was much outside of that. And Was it a really um, conservative community? Y- yes, I think, yeah, definitely. In, in a lot of ways, it was. You had to, you know, go to church. Everybody knew each other and had known each other and had been there for, you know, grandparents had been there, great-grandparents, and they were, you know, founding families. And my parents were definitely not one of them. They moved in. They had, I can remember my mom saying things like, you know, we've been here for 40 years and they still don't treat us as equal. 
you know? So it was, it was very, it was conservative in, in those kinds of ways. Yeah. Okay. And so how did you do in school and with friendships and, you know, so on and so forth, just life as a child? It was really tough. Actually, I was teased a lot and bullied. And I had you know, really uh, bad self-regulation over emotions. So I was always emotionally dysregulated, losing it like every other week, crying a lot. I wasn't really good with other people, you know, always having fights with, with friends. And it was, it was a struggle for me. My brother also had been, he had been diagnosed when he was seven uh, with ADHD. And, you know, he was a total opposite where he was actually really good with people, um, but he wasn't very uh, good at school. Whereas I learned quite early on that I needed to be good in school, but it was hard to, to, to be good in school. I, I worked really hard for that. So when you say you were teased and bullied, do you remember what you were teased and bullied over? Uh, being black. Yeah, that, really? that was the main thing. And also me just losing it and getting really angry. My, like, I mean, like, I can remember times of just, you know, kicking doors and, and, and throwing stuff and screaming and, and just afterwards, just not even knowing what the hell happened or how it, it got to that point, you know, and just never, it never really occurred to anyone that, well, maybe that's not how people like who are kids who are actually functioning really well behave, you know? So it was, it was, uh, yeah, it wasn't always easy. How did your parents handle that when you would just completely, you know, self-combust? I mean, were they supportive or did you get in a lot of trouble? I kind of grew up in a household where you didn't show emotions. So not like that. So you know, so that would never happen at home. You know, I, I would never happen at home. I learned very, very quickly of where my place was and what I was supposed to do to avoid any, any issues or any trouble. But, you know, with my brother always getting in trouble at school and people coming up to me and I've always felt protective of him. And a lot of the times I would get upset just because I didn't like people talking about him, which is funny, but it was funny because on the other side, he was, he was so personable anyways. People just really liked him, but I just couldn't handle any of that kind of negativity or that nastiness. But I also was extremely insecure. Like there was nobody like me, no teachers, no adults, no kids like that looked like me at all. So was your brother uh, teased and bullied about being black as well? Not or like I know was. How to deal with it. <laughs> I think he just kind of knew how to deal with it or just didn't care as much. He would just laugh at, at you know, being called some names that, you know, just not appropriate. But he, he found his ways around it. He would just, he was just very charismatic in ways that I am not and was never <laughs> that. And is he still like that? Yes. In some, in a lot of ways he is, but you know, we have very different ADHD stories. 
mm-hmm. you know, and especially being black male or just being blacks in general, it's, it's just, it's different. It's, it's been, it's been very different. And for black males on top of, you know, having ADHD and always just trouble with law and things like that. So there was, it's very different stories and outcomes. Um, and I want to, I want to talk more about that because that is what was so fascinating about your story to me. But before we get into that, I want to talk about how you discovered your ADHD. Like when did the light bulb go off where you were like, oh my gosh, this is what's been going on with me. Yeah, there's actually there was a couple instances. Like throughout my life, there was I think one or two times where I went, oh, maybe I have ADHD because you know I have a busy mind or something like that. And I would just kind of get laughed at, you know, if I brought up in therapy or you know, my friends would just be like, oh, that's silly. And I'd be like, oh, okay, that is silly. You know, I I don't need I'm that's not me. And I've always been in therapy, like in and out for most of my life, actually. Um but I just kind of put all of that aside. And it was about a year and a half ago, a couple of things happened. Now, I had just taken on a new role in the school that I worked at. And I was really excited. You know, I know a lot about what I was doing. I was ready to go. And, you know, this was a really great opportunity for me. Another thing that I had done was I had, you know, really worked on changing my diet. I was... I quit drinking for ages as well. And I thought, okay, this is it. Like now I'm going to make these big changes in my life. And I, you know, within a couple months, I was like taking like mental health days and I just couldn't sort through it all. I just couldn't do what I knew. And I couldn't actually, even whenever I was doing the things that I, I knew how to do, I wasn't very confident in them. I, people would say, oh, you're doing such a great job. And I'd be like, no, not really. And they'd be like, why, why are you being like that? And I was also working with uh, group, groups of kids that had executive function challenges. And we'd be working together on different strategies for procrastination or organization or time blindness or whatever. I'd be like, oh my gosh, like, this is how you break up tasks. This is how you do these things. And I, I just never, I couldn't even comprehend it. Like I, they just blew my mind. And I was like, wait a minute, why is this so like, do people actually know this stuff before like teaching it? Like, and I just, and that's when I started looking into it a little bit more about for myself. And that's whenever I started learning about women and it really came clear to me. So Sandra, are you um, combined type or are you inattentive primarily? I'm primarily inattentive, but I also have uh, impulse, uh, impulsive to, impulsivity that mm-hmm. was noted and uh, some disordered, well, disordered eating as well that was kind of connected with that mm-hmm. and anxiety and PTSD. And so, yeah, I've, I have a, a bunch of letters and stuff connected to that. <laughs> Yeah, I get it. So I think I I read a statistic recently that I think the number was 46% of adopted kids have ADHD. Wow. Which, yeah, I found, I mean, it makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I thought that was a really interesting statistic. So now when you look back on your childhood, do you see a lot of ADHD symptoms that at the time you didn't even really know 
Like, why did I do that? Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny because it's not like my parents were unaware about ADHD because even before my brother was diagnosed with ADHD, I had my older black brother who's not um, biologically uh, you know, connected with me. He was diagnosed with ADHD. So they had very you know, great knowledge of what it looked like in, in males that have had hyperactivity, but they didn't think about it uh, with me. And so I'm not really surprised by that. I think it's, I was different in a way. And especially whenever I was at home, I learned that I had to be a certain way and do things in a certain way because they were dealing a lot with my little brother, my older brother. And I was, you know, I was actually the, in, in air quotes here, like the neurotypical one. Mm-hmm. And as close as that could be, but there was a lot of things in in my life, particularly with socially, um, was a big thing. And I didn't realize how how hard it was to read things. And I'm an English major too. Like I originally started off as an English major, so I did enjoy reading, but it took me a long time to read. And studying was also I could never do exams. I could get like 90s in the class. And then when the exam is about 40% of the mark, it would go to a 70 or 60. I just could not retain any of the information. So you always knew that, hey, you know, whether we're talking about school or we're talking about emotions or we're talking about relationships, there was always something there that you thought, you know, I'm different. Yeah. But at first- And of course, the color of your skin too, right? So Mm. it was- all of these things. So I guess my big question is, where do you even start unraveling all of this and figure out what is adoption? What part is race? What part is trauma? What part is ADHD? Like, how do you even start? It just seems so big. (laughs) Yeah, that is, that's my question, like every day. Because I, you think that you get over certain issues or certain things that you've worked through them and then they come up in a different way you know and you don't I don't think that at this point that I've really learned to untangle them very well it's just they're all a part of me in different ways some are just tattooed and some are just scars and some are just wounds that are still healing I guess and it just it's taken, it is taking, I'm saying, a lot of time and energy to actually be able to heal. I think learning about having ADHD was a big eye-opener for me because it showed what re- the reasons why I was reacting the way that I'd reacted in my life. It showed a little bit more about my thought processes and and, and that. But You know, I also had a lot of feelings and still do of like worthiness and, you know, just feeling like I don't really feel like, oh, would it have been different if I had, you know, been, if I hadn't been adopted or would it have been different if I had black parents? You know, and I think some of those things would would definitely have changed things. Would they have made them better? I don't know. Because I don't think that in the black community, we're, you know, any more knowledgeable about ADHD. 
That is, I, I think that's a fascinating comment. And I think we probably, maybe the answer is you never unravel it. Yeah. You never can really say, okay, this is because of that. Like, I don't even know how you would do that. And so I love that instead you look at it and say, no, it probably wouldn't have been better. So that's a great segue into what really attracted me to you was your comment that you had, when we were you know, initially talking, you had said that you thought your issues were solely due to race. And you said that up until recently. So what changed there? And, and talk to me about ADHD and how race plays a role. Why is it different? When I grew up, <laughs> I'm going to try my best. <laughs> and this is such a tricky uh, question for me on a, a few different levels because, you know, as I said, like just how I grew up, it is a very, it's, it's an odd feeling because, you know, I'm on the outside, you know, I'm black, but on the inside, I'm so much of so many different people and places, but I never, I've always kind of struggled with that part of, of race because if, if people are looking at me in their white, you know, I always feel like they get a, or seem a different, oh, I can't put this in the right way. I always feel that I perceive differently. But then even whenever, um, you know, I'm talking to people who are black and I don't have a lot of black peers or black friends because I didn't grow up in that. So I, I, I do struggle with making comments about race because I always feel like, but I, I wasn't always in that part of Right of race. Does that make sense? Like I can't. I can't put it right. I want to. I, I think what you're telling me is what you're telling us is that you never feel really grounded in either one. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. It's it's like I'm, my my feet are straddling both races, and so that's always been a struggle for me. So that even when I'm opening my mouth and using dialect that I've grown up with that might not be, you know, black in that sense or with a black American or British, you know, whatever. But at the other side, how I look, it's you're expected to know more or to be maybe differently. I I respond differently. So I've always kind of struggled with that. And having the ADHD part, it's, it's an invisible thing on top of all of that. So you, I already struggled with race in that sense of, well, everything around me that is a really, you know, an example of what I should be and what I should do and what it should look like and what is acceptable is white. And they act like X this way. And you're, you know, to be successful in this, you have to have this, 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 this. And I, having, being Black and not knowing I had ADHD, you know, I could not actually do those things that could make me as successful in that sense with you know, those things. But I didn't know that. But then on the black side, I never felt like I could really fit in there either. Does that make sense? So like- It, it, it totally makes sense. Um, and I can relate to you because, you know, it, and I, I know it's different, but because of what you're saying about these two different races. So I'm half Japanese American, mm-hmm. American Japanese, and I'm half German. And my mother had my, my mom's German, my dad's Japanese. And 
my mother had a really strong influence on us, meaning that German was my first language. Well, my parents met in Germany. My father was in the, uh, he was a dentist in the, a captain in the army. Mm. And so that's how we met my mom. And so German was my first language. We went to a German school, you know, on the weekends. Our clothes came from Germany. I just, you know, everything that we did seemed more German. So I didn't have any of the Japanese really growing up, but I also didn't feel American. And so I I felt, even though I didn't look German at all, I looked much more Japanese than anyone, you know, any of the other kids in my family. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up feeling more German. I mean, the whole thing is just, you're just kind of all over the place, right? Yeah, exactly. And then when you don't realize you have, you know, ADHD, you've got this invisible barrier, like getting in the way of your even like success in a way like academically or or just motivation to even do those things. So it kind of felt barriers all around. There was good things to obviously being the only black one anywhere because I traveled all over the world and I was so used to being the only black female or the only black person I knew that it's been a way of life for me. It's, it's, it is what it is. Yeah. It's, I was always standing out, but on the other side of that is, has always been this like shame and just a lot of just knowing that even though you're always different and being okay and comfortable with that, but still knowing that you're not quite the ideal that you've grown up hearing about or what's been put in front of you. There was no one, there was no one like me to show me what success could look like for a black woman. If that makes sense. I totally get that. This is my big question for you though. Hmm. When you are feeling your best and you're practicing your greatest strengths, and I want to ask you about those, Hmm. are you trying to fit in? Or are you comfortable with standing out? Yeah, this has been the biggest part of my journey so far is really coming to terms with the fact that all of those things that I held as being successful, if I did that successful, if I looked like that successful, if my hair was like this or that, one by one over time, those things kind of fell away. You know, and as I'm starting to build what successful looks like to me. And what I've noticed and what I've realized is that I can only be that success if it's on my terms. And that is different from anyone else. So when I'm doing the things like when I'm in my writing, when I'm in front of the kids or what, like, cause I, I, if I'm working in, in the classroom or if I'm working with schools, like this is me going on, you know, my gut, what I know to be true and what has worked for me. And that's different from anything else that I've known or have been taught, but it, it works for me. And that's, I realized that that's what I need to be focused on. And that's what I need to, to do. So yeah, to answer your question, I'm at my best when I'm really choosing the things that align with what shows the best parts of me. And they're generally different than the things that I grew up thinking 
was what really mattered. Wow. Yeah. I totally get it. Okay. So before, I know I said I wanted to talk about your strengths, but before we do that, can you talk to us about what additional issues come up for those with ADHD when you're Black? And I mean, of course, I I totally get, you know, the prison population and how, what percentage is Black. And I just cannot even imagine in society today, I think about these poor Black kids all the time who have ADHD and are impulsive and do silly things that any white kid could do. And, you know, they'd be fine. And they end up down this road. And it's just, it's heartbreaking to me, but I'm certain there's more than that. Yeah. For me, in my experience, as I said, like, you know, I have two brothers, both Black, both diagnosed with ADHD, you know, as children and, you know, both on and off medication for a few years as children, both ended up in jail on and off most of their lives. So yeah, definitely problems in in that respect. And, you know, what I've noticed, like just being in this community and being a little bit more vocal was that, you know, I actively search for, you know, you know, people of color to follow, you know, who speak about ADHD or, you know, neurodiversity at all anyways. And it is very hard to find, you know, people to, to find people to follow and who share about it. We just don't talk about it, but the narrative of mental health and neurodiversity isn't black anyways. It's, it is white. It's all like, you know, as well as I do, the ADHD, you know, is based on the, you know, white males. Yeah. So to be diagnosed, you've got to act that way. But we also know that, you know, it's, it's different. You know, I, you know, I think too that, you know, poverty plays a massive role in the kind of support that you get in schools. And then, and where you live. And so that also is, is, is a huge problem as well. And I don't think that in the black community, we're talking about, you know, ADHD as much and mental health as much, you know, and, and it is too bad. And, and it is, and it's, you already, I always feel like as blacks, you're already targeted, you know, when you know that most of the really violent crimes actually perpetuated, I hate that word, you know, by whites. But when you look at the prison population, it's, it's mostly black. You're already behind the, the curve anyways. Basically, what I'm- And that doesn't I'm, even include white collar crime, yeah. which you know, nobody gets anything for that. Mm, exactly. And so- you know, this was the other thing about uh, for me in in schools as well. It was that like it is hard enough. Like where I'm working in, around the world, where you know we have teachers who are you're getting a lot of training in a lot of different areas, and we're still I'm still battling stigma, and I'm still pointing out you know kids that are struggling and, and black kids as well. And black kids that, you know, that come from places where they do have money or I, I think have a better chance of getting that support, but that doesn't happen, you know? So my thoughts on it is like, we've got so much work to do. Like we're talking about, you know, women and girls who are getting underdiagnosed, but there's, um, there's also a massive problem with blacks being 
are diagnosed as well, and we just don't talk about it. So when you're saying that, you know, you work with Black boys who clearly you can see that they need to get diagnosed, it's ADHD, and you talk to the parents who it sounds like they could afford to get them diagnosed and get them services, they're in denial about it? Is that? With where I'm working with in international schools, it's a different thing. But, you know, we work with working or talking with, you know, other blacks in other schools or that with teachers or parents or families whose kids, you know, don't go to these schools. You know, there's a struggle to get the right support. Like, I don't know what it's like in the States, but in the UK, to get a diagnosis, it takes almost two years. And you're still fighting for the right uh, um, support to happen inside the classroom. We are, it's worse. No, it just, to me, it's, 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 it's not even that families don't know enough about it, which happens, by the way. You know, I've, I've had clients that have struggled with being diagnosed and having their families be like, no, 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 that's not true. No, no. And just kind of because they don't have the knowledge on it because we don't talk about it. But also, you know, with, with, um, in classes, with the sizes that they are and the lack of knowledge that they are, like you putting kids that need different ways of learning and different, you know, tools for executive function in these classes and putting them in teachers who don't have that knowledge or to support them. And they just don't stand a chance. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think that's here too, you know, in terms of, I mean, even educators, it's just shocking to me how little they know. And I mean, when they know they're amazing and usually, honestly, the best educators I think are women with, or men with ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, it's funny that you say that, like I, you know, and I'm, you know, an educator myself, you know, and I, you know, I work part-time in school still and, you know, I love what I do and I know teachers who work so freaking hard mm-hmm. and, you know, for very little pay and, and do their best that they can, but don't get that training for things like ADHD. And all they see is above the iceberg like it's made to just be like you know our white male tick and if you don't act like that they don't see it but even still you know i'm working with teachers and i'm like this kid he is like poster child for what adhd is about why are we not doing anything yet like you know and if i'm having those conversations for kids that actually don't like that, that are standing out like sore thumbs, then there's kids that don't stand out like the sore thumbs don't stand a chance. And I'm finding it too, that if they're inattentive, it's, it's, it's the worst, whether it's a boy or a girl, even like, you know, people that follow me, it's like, it's not only the women that aren't getting diagnosed, this is an attentive men that are like, yeah, I'm 35, 40, I'm just getting diagnosed now too, you know, because they don't follow it either. And like my son, he's five, he's inattentive as well. He's always like, my mom was just daydreaming about that. You know, <laughs> you know, but he's smart. Oh, let's talk about the hell that is gifted in ADHD. Like those kids. Yeah, are are yeah. It is. I can. I totally agree. I'm going to rant, and I don't. I'm with you there. I mean, who who are the smart kids? The kids who sit there and do exactly what they're told, never think out of the box, never color outside the box. 
Or is it the kids who are always coming up with different connections and ideas? And like, it's so obvious to me, you know, just even what we call intelligence makes no sense to me. Uh, (laughs) uh, I've done a lot of work with gifted ed and I do a lot of work with uh, Twice Exceptional. And it is, it is heartbreaking because, you know, especially with kids that are Twice Exceptional and you start you know, the first thing that always happens for these kids is like, okay, you can't do this. So you've got to learn how to do this because you can't do that. And it's like, nobody's going to grow up and be all into their thing that they can't do. Like, that's not what anybody is going to do. But what they are going to do, you know, if you look at what they can do and what they're really good at, then, then you can actually say, hey, this is how we're going to teach you how to work around this, work with this, or work through this so that you can do this thing that you're really good at. Then it makes sense to the kid. Then they're like, oh, yeah. You don't understand how many conversations I've had to have with kids that being like, I get it. I get that you are dyslex- that you have dyslexia, but it's not who you are. You decide who you are. You have kids that have like 140 uh, IQ, and I'm telling them, and they're thinking about, oh, I'm dyslexic, I'm dyslexic, I'm dyslexic. I'm like, dude, you've got 140 IQ. Are you kidding me? You're concentrating on the wrong stuff right now. You know? I love it. And that's the perfect segue since we're talking about strengths and focusing on strengths. What do you think are your greatest ADHD strengths? I guess it depends on the day. <laughs> Some days are better than others. Um, it's funny you asked that when I was, I would go through times like when I was with my husband and I would be like, you know, I really want to create something for myself. I really want to do something for myself. I do love being in the classroom and I have a way of working with, with kids that, you know, if I could just bottle it, you know, I think it would be really great to sell it. Cause I'm really good with them. I don't understand why that is. I don't understand how that is. I don't understand how I can be in a room of kids and get them to, to, you know, tell me what's going on or, you know, connect with them on ways that other teachers don't. And I don't really know how to do that. Um, so I think ADHD's brought me that in a, in a way that I haven't really been able to dive a lot into. I think also there, I keep going. I get a lot of ideas. Some of them I finish or I don't, but I do go back to a lot of the things. So I'm, I'm, I'm always recycling things. So if I do start something, there's a big chance I'm going to go back to it in another way. And I'm really, I'm really happy about that. I think that um, this is one of our kind of our typical ADHD strengths is that we just have the stick to We don't give up. I mean, mm. sometimes you kind of look at, you know, what happens in some of our lives and you think, well, geez, she really should give up. But there's just something about us that we just kind of keep going. <laughs> we yeah. don't give yeah, up. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, definitely. I am also assuming that you may have a few weaknesses. And I wanted to know if you can share maybe some workarounds that you've developed for those weaknesses. I've over the years, I've adapted a few things to kind of help with problems I didn't know that I had. And um, so I have some, you know, kind of things I do to keep myself organized. I'm very minimalist. So I try not to, if I buy something, I get rid of something. Everything has its place. It's always had its place. 
uh, and that's helped keep the clutter down around me so that um, the clutter is less in my mind. I'm exactly I'm, like that. Yeah, I, I find it's, you know, and I find that there's, as I'm, I'm getting older, I find that there's things that, you know, maybe I need to delegate to someone else to do. So I've never, ever been something, uh, something about cleaning. I, you know, I don't like to do it. So that is something that I put aside money for. I've always had a dishwasher, for example. Like these, these are things like in my space that I, I just give out, you know, so I don't deal with them. And I don't think there's anything wrong with delegating things that, you know, you just don't, if you can do it, you know, just delegate it. For my, like, like I do a lot of these different kinds of strategies, you know, in my day to day. I think the thing that I mostly struggle with for me is like uh, mentally and kind of working through a lot of stuff that I've had to go through. So, you know, I do, I, I have meditation that I do. I do, I've always done journaling actually for, you know, I've got journals going back like 25 years and definitely with therapies and things like that. Cause I think those are the parts that are now that I know about the ADHD, these are the things that I actively work to make to, to strengthen. Cause a lot of the strategies and things I, I got put stuff in place. Like even my hair, like my hair is in dreadlocks. <laughs> it's easy for me to take care of, you know? Yeah. So it just, it's basic, basically for me, it's, I don't want to stress over the things that, that I don't have to stress about. So I have the bandwidth to deal with things that I, that I, that are bigger than that. Like looking after my son's stuff, my husband who, you know, can be, you know, he might be ADHD and, you know, so I do a lot of the executive function stuff for our home. Got it. So, Makes yeah. sense. So what advice, Sandra, would you have for the parents of an ADHD child? Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I, I wrote articles on this just recently. I think the one thing is that you need to get knowledgeable about ADHD. That's the first thing. Because how you advocate for them is like how they're going to learn how to advocate for themselves. And I think that you need that parents do need to, you know, be, I want to say flexible in a way. And I, and I mean this in the sense of like things you put in place, you know, strategies or this or that don't always, you know, work for a little bit and then they change. And so you've got to kind of keep going and adapting with that and going with that. You need to make sure that you are taking care of yourself too, because it's not always easy with uh, some of this, the difficulties that, you know, ADHD, depending on the, how far along on the spectrum it can be, it's a, it's a lot of work. And I always say too, is that when you're with parents, when they're meeting with teachers and getting to know what's happening in the classroom or sitting in an IEP meeting or whatnot, it's just really keep reminding them about their strengths, what they're good at, what matters to them, what's important to them, and how the teachers are helping bring that into the classroom. Because it's really important to build those relationships with the kids and, and parents can really help teachers find ways in 
by also reminding them of their strengths. So I think those that's quite important because I think a lot of times when we meet with teachers, it's very much about like, you know, our teachers want us to come in. We can't do this. Well, we can't do that. Well, we, you know, or she can't do this. And, you know, and it's just like, you know, well, what can she do? And what opportunities are you giving her to show, see that or to show that? Sorry. I, I couldn't agree more. And I don't, I probably told this story before, but just in case I haven't, you know, my son got a progress report. This was last year. And literally his science teacher, there was not one positive thing. And I know that my son, he didn't like that class and he didn't like it because it was disorganized and he really needs things. He needs structure. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I called the school and I said, I don't ever want to see a progress report that doesn't start with strengths. You cannot mm -hmm. just send out a progress report to a child and talk about everything he does wrong and then expect that he's going to give a damn. Mm -hmm. Especially um, your son's older too. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And he started to get angry, you know, because he's smart. He just did yeah. not like the way that subject was being taught. It made no sense to him. There was no structure. So anyway, Sandra, I just so appreciate your sharing with us today. I want to mention that since being diagnosed, um, Sandra has decided to make it her mission to give children, teens, parents, and adults the support that she didn't have growing up so that they can manage their ADHD and thrive in life. And so I wanted to ask you, Sandra, is there anything special that you're working on that you want to tell us about? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm all over the place right now. I, I'm doing a lot of different things right now. I, um, I do a lot of writing at the moment. I'm sharing a lot of my story and sharing a lot of things that are working for me at the moment uh, as I kind of go through this journey of being my own best self. I, I do work with uh, parents and, and actually I work with teachers as well. And that just really wanting to, you know, you know, I'm working on training teachers and helping parents in how they can best support uh, their kids as well. I do some coaching of women um, with ADHD and kids um, with their executive function skills too. That's great. So if people want to find you, if they want to connect, how would they go about doing that? You can find me most active on Instagram right now. I'm at the ADHD good life. And that's where I share a lot of my story. I'm also, you can find that same page on Facebook. And if you're looking for a website, then it would be my educational consultancy site at uh, wellnessandwhiteboards.com. That's a great site, by the way. I, I took a look and I, I just, I love everything about it. <laughs> I love Thank the design. It, it just is so peaceful. Anyway. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I'm going to include all of that in the show notes. Thank you. Well, thank you again, Sandra. You are such an inspiration to everyone, but especially to women with ADHD. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. And you, dear listeners, thank you for subscribing, listening to the show, writing those reviews, joining our ADHD group, ADHD for Smartass Women. I read every single Instagram DM, every Facebook message, every email. 
They mean the world to me because they tell me that you need what I'm providing and your praise and encouragement is what keeps me going. And there, I said it. I'm not afraid to ask for gold stars. Anyway, beyond that, when you tell other women about this podcast, it really does change lives. I can't tell you how often I get a message from someone who tells me that they were in despair about their ADHD diagnosis. And just one listen, flip the switch for them and help them to suddenly start to see their strengths when days before they thought they didn't even have any. Look, if there's anything that I know about our ADHD brains, it's that we can't get anything done when we're in negative emotion. But when we're in positive emotion, if we feel hopeful, our motivation kicks in and the sky is the limit. If you want to help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or Google Play, because what you say really does impact people. It does encourage them to listen, and it's a ripple effect. We're changing lives one woman at a time. And if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview, or a topic idea for this podcast, you can go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com and leave me an audio message or reach out to me at tracy at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. If you liked what you heard, we sure would appreciate a review. And not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, well, that's also the name of our free Facebook group. Go look it up. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. We'd love to have you join us. You can also find all my details over at tracyoutsuka.com. Don't forget, I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.